We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. The biggest takeaways from the Zero RB watch and stealing signals. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretch. You can find my Stealing Signals newsletter at bangretch.substack.com. And with me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find the Zero RB watch that he writes at Rotoviz. Everything else that he does, all the fantastic work that he does over at Rotoviz. Sean, we're coming out of it. It's uh, late Tuesday night we're recording, so we just got to see the final two Tuesday games of Week 15 in what was maybe the worst fantasy week that I can ever remember. I mean, of all time. like How, how much of a hyperbole is that? I, I, we've both been playing for a long time. I mean, this this week sucked. It was a good microcosm of the whole season. It's just kind of, I mean, I don't I want to use uh, bad words, but we're on road of his radio. I'm not sure I'm supposed to, but uh, a blank show. I mean, it's just a just it's just been a mess lately it has been it has been i don't know if it'll be the worst all time we still had the long late touchdown run from jonathan taylor anybody who thought he wasn't going to be able to bring those college highlights to the nfl i think at this point has been pretty conclusively proven incorrect he is a one-man highlight machine and you know we're, we're getting a little bit of the element here that we have gotten with a few of the stars of the past which is that if you know the opposing team is going to run every play and then they were showing you know what is flashing up on the screen at the end of monday night football that kirk cousins has the fewest yards ever in a start you're thinking to yourself yeah man i mean he's been unbelievably bad and the, the fewest yards in any of his starts. Other quarterbacks have gotten below him, <laughs> which is my point here. 87 yards passing is what he right. threw for. 87 yards. And, you know, if you have Justin Jefferson playing in some of these leagues, I mean, it didn't – I don't think I don't think Justin Jefferson missed the fact that Kirk Cousins threw for 87 yards because the last couple of weeks for him, I mean, he could have legitimately had like 500 yards and six touchdowns <laughs> if – you know, and again, it's not any kind of criticism of Cooper Cup, who I think at this point is the clear NFL MVP. I don't think anyone else is even in the conversation right now. I think that in to get the conversation, Jonathan Taylor has to continue to do what he's done, and you need Aaron Rodgers to do what he's been doing and like stay out of the headlines otherwise for the last well, stretch of the season here. Otherwise, it's just Cup, right? But you, you see some of the throws that Stafford made in this game, and and the Rams don't have anything else. When he tried to throw to anybody else on the field, it's just like, no, Aldo Beckham is not good. Van Jefferson is not good. These other guys would not even be on other rosters. I mean, it's just Cooper Cup. When you look at some of these throws and you're thinking to yourself, man, if Justin Jefferson had that, we'd be talking about the all-time greatest fantasy football season. But Jefferson's still playing well. My point about Kirk Cousins is that he's like 87 yards. I'm sure he's sitting there over there on the sidelines. It's like, 
that's 30 more yards than Carson Wentz threw for. And he also won. <laughs> so, you know, we have the situation. The Patriots are all on the line there because they know what play is coming. They're trying to get the stop at the line of scrimmage. The problem with that is that if you have Jonathan Taylor, who has unbelievable vision and unbelievable cutting ability in the hole, and then four or three long speed, you miss and he's gone, which is what happened. It's what's going to continue to happen because teams are going to have to come up and try and stop him. So that was exciting. We yeah, had some, some other nice plays. We did have some scrubs come through, which, I mean, it's always a great story for them. You get these sleeper underdog moves. That was kind of fun. Um, the weekend of the tight ends, Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews. I've been joking that we recorded last week on Thursday, and I said, you know, tight ends are going to drop a little bit. And then we have uh, that game on Thursday night that completely eviscerates that take even before we released it uh, to the general public. So there were some good things. But if you want to look at quarterback play and offensive play, I Ben, you're right. I don't remember a week ever that was this bad. And it includes a whole bunch of games where the offenses – that like could barely get a first down. I mean, you think about the Pittsburgh Steelers and Najee Harris in this game, it, and they come from behind to win. <laughs> so it, it was a crazy week and, and not a good one for the offenses. Not a good one for the offenses, especially. I mean, we had the, you know, I know a lot of these games got moved, and so that was rough. Minnesota Chicago was already scheduled on Monday, but they must have, uh, I don't know, uh, <laughs> thought that their game got moved or something. Uh, I, I guess the Bears are dealing with a lot of. Their coaching staff being out, so Matt Nagy had four eight to, to kind of do whatever he wanted. But those Monday and Tuesday games, especially, were just so brutal, man. I mean, there was uh, I'm I'm looking at the scores now. I think it was thirty points or fewer scored in all four of the Monday or Tuesday games, which is just I mean, those are clear unders on on any. I guess I'm not looking at the Tuesday ones yet, but I think those all ended up pretty low scoring. Maybe the Washington Philly game got got more points. Anyway. These games just ended, and I'm tired. It's been a long week. Yeah, Washington Philly ended up with like 44 points. So, wow, exciting. Um, yeah, just not a lot of points in the late, <laughs> especially towards the end of the weekend. The Sunday night football as well, nine total points in that game. So it was like uh, – it was actually Thursday night was a pretty good game. You mentioned the Saturday night game. Jonathan Taylor has a good game. But really, I mean, some funny stats in that game. Carson Wentz only throws 12 passes. Only the second time all year a team has thrown fewer than 15. The only other one, of course, was that New England game where they only threw three in the in the windy game against the Bills, right? Yeah, the Bills. So other than that crazy New England game, there had been no other team all year to throw fewer than 15 passes. Wentz throws 12 times for whatever, you know, you know whatever number it was. He's at his 20 or 30 yards less than Cousins even. But it was great for Taylor to, to get all that work. The cool thing on the other side of that for Taylor – 98% snap percentage. Previous season high was 84%. For most of the beginning of the year, he was around 50, 60%. Hines is playing a lot in the passing game. And we talked early in the year about how they needed to get him more touches. They needed, they didn't, they weren't a good enough team to not be giving him as much work as he could handle, essentially, to not be making sure that every touch to running back to a running back was a Jonathan Taylor touch because he could do the types of things that he did on, I think his final touch in, in the, in the game against the Patriots. To, I think he ended up with 29 rushes. So probably his 29th touch. I mean, you got to get him 29 touches so that he has a chance to do that. It's a lot like Derrick Henry. You know, it's kind of funny to be on the other side of this and be like, yeah, okay, this is why people like that, drafting Derrick Henry. Cause when you have him on your team, it's pretty cool to see late in the game when he goes for a 70 yard touchdown. But I, I bring that back up because, you know, credit credit Frank Reich. We talked about that. Obviously, he noticed that because he immediately, you know, not long after that started playing Taylor a lot more. Taylor was getting up around 80% snaps. He's playing in the passing game a lot more. They like Hines. Hines is a good player, but they deep deprioritized Hines to continue to get more and more work to Taylor. And then in this game, huge game against the Patriots, you want to win this game. I mean, big, big game for the Colts. They play him almost every single snap, and they're like, look, we're just not going to take you off the field. You're a whole offense. We're going to throw 12 times. We're going to run you against obvious run fronts, and we're going to let you just win the game for us. And and we do get that gimmick sort of receiving touchdown. A cool, a clever play. I mean, a gimmick play, but a very cleverly designed play. So he does get the receiving touchdown. And uh, 
you know, that kind of cool to see it. Like you mentioned, Hines, very good, but all of these touches, Jonathan Taylor. And one of the things that I find the most frustrating with the way NFL teams do deploy their talent and their elite talent sometimes is that they have this idea of the number of touches that they want to get to, but they'll rest the star in the second quarter. It's like, that's not the right time, right? Your offense has to dominate the first half. You need to get a lead. You need to be late in the game. And that's where you can save touches if the game script is then in a situation where you can do it. And like you mentioned, this game against the Patriots, they must win. It's close all the way through. If you're going to have a game where Jonathan Taylor carries 29 times, this is the game, and they set it up perfectly. So exactly like you're talking about there, this was a great example of really good coaching, which, you know, when we criticize at times, and it's it's all, you know, hopefully in a very good faith manner, but we also want to put point out, as you're saying here, the things that the coaches are doing really well and these adjustments with the Colts and just relying on your star. That's the way you get where you need to be. The Colts have blown three games late that they had. If they had won those games, we would be talking about them as the AFC favorites. Now that's still a situation where if Carson Wentz is your QB. Can you be the favorite when there are teams out there now with a reascending Patrick Mahomes? I mean, the Chargers lose this game on Thursday night. You mentioned was the best game of the weekend easily. Uh, the Chargers actually look like the second best team in the AFC and perhaps the second best team in the NFL. But Justin Herbert right there, Josh Allen looking a little better. I mean, that trio of quarterbacks, I think, is the group that gives you the chance to win the Super Bowl. And then on the NFC side, obviously, of Aaron Rodgers. Outside of that, we're not seeing a lot of great quarterback play. And as a result, it can really unmask some of the coaching situations as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I'll still cape up for Kyler Murray. I think Kyler Murray has taken a huge step forward. I'm really excited about him next year and going into 2022. He played really well early on. And he, I mean, we've had some basically bad players on his team post some really efficient lines. Um, you know, the AJ Greens and stuff. And like, yeah, Greens look good. You can say a lot of different things. But I mean, God, the interception he threw, uh, Murray threw on the out. I, I have not seen an NFL receiver be that slow to break on an out route. And then also just that week. I mean, you talk about like it's, it's receiving one-on-one. Like when you break to an out route, if you're weak to the sideline and you're fading up field, that's how the cornerback undercuts it, right? Like the quarterback can't throw that pass. If he can't trust you to work back to the ball and be strong and not let the cornerback just have a free cut underneath you immediately after Kyler threw that pick, he's like, pointing back towards him like come back to me they, they showed kyler and then they showed the replay and and green was just like so slow and lethargic out of the cut it, it i mean it's just in my head just running through my head the quote you had earlier this year my favorite quote of this entire season i wrote about it in signals this week uh that aj green just looks offended to be targeted sometimes <laughs> and it's like he's like what are you doing why are you throwing me the football what do you think this is <laughs> uh it's just brutal the aftermath of the interception too i thought was so telling in terms of kind of where people are in terms of their commitment to the team and their competitiveness right because not only does he do this stuff before the interception that you mentioned but then absolutely zero effort to go make the tackle and you contrast that with james connor who i mean we love connor and so I mean, we're predisposed to give him the credit he deserves. But one of the things that you can't give him credit for is being fast because he's not, he's super slow. And yet <laughs> he streaks all the way down the field and gives incredible effort and makes a great tackle to keep a guy from going in and scoring. Now <laughs> that play does uh, end up in a score very shortly after. So it's not a thing where people go back and be like, Oh, James Conner saved the game with the great effort. Like we've seen, but if the Cardinals do get a stop there, then that effort that Connor gave could have been the difference. Connor plays hard, man. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I thought he was a little bit a little bit dusty last year with Pittsburgh. Uh we talked we drafted him uh some this offseason, but I I mean I was taking him for role and the way that they used Kenyon Drake last year and this and that. But he's been fun to watch this year. He's he's made some good plays in the passing game. They're talking about last week how uh, the, one of the broadcasts was talking about how he has more one-handed catches than any player in the league because he's catching all of these dump-offs one-handed. He made a one-handed catch in that nine-catch game uh, on Monday night last week. And they were, I mean, uh, obviously they tracked that, but 
yeah, I mean, he's still got some talent and he plays hard and, you know, that, that can help you stick around a little bit after you're not as athletic. It's like, uh, you know, r- reminds me a little of Frank Gore. Frank Gore always would play hard. You know, he did the right things. He ha- had talent, certainly, even, even after he lost athleticism, had talent, had football talent. It's not like Frank Gore was ever, you know, good for the last like seven years of his career, but you could kind of see sometimes why people kept him around, you know, on teams. Like he he knows how to hit holes and he plays hard. And he puts his nose down. Anyway, Connor's been fun to watch this year. Yeah, there's a huge value to those guys who play hard. You mentioned uh, Kyler Murray and how he has been improving. I think that's definitely the case. I was very disappointed about how he played as a passer last season. Uh, not nearly to that level this year. And as you mentioned, he made some good throws. Came I Again, very biased in this, but I felt like Green's effort after the interception was so poor that I would have benched him. I would have pulled him and said, even if it's going to cost us the game, I mean, you, just, you have to play harder than that. We just can't have guys out there on the field. And then he actually makes some big plays afterwards. So I'm thinking to myself, well, if the coach understands, you got to have him out there. He made some big catches, but still, it's just, I don't think you can afford to play people who have that little effort in terms of what they're doing. The other part of it, though, kind of as you mentioned, it's just always sort of been A.J. Green's thing where he's not going to look like an effort guy. He's a, a glider. He's a tall player. He, he used that height later in the game on a key catch. And so, again, we have to give people credit for and kind of look at people within the context of what they do. He made some plays, and he's been using that size and that lankiness and the, and the ball skills all throughout this year. I, I mean, I. He looks good on some of those plays. I also, I, a lot of them are the really well placed balls. I mean, that's where you want to throw the ball to, to AJ Green down the field is get the ball up and where he can go and get it. And even the ones where he looks good making the plays, it's it's still clear that he doesn't have the athleticism he used to have. And it's like this is just a really well thrown ball where AJ Green can make a play that it ultimately makes him look good. You know, one of the big things I was thinking this week is this idea of like the receivers that make things look easy and the ones that make things look hard. Uh, we talk about this with DJ Moore a lot. I mean, he had a two-point conversion catch in the back of the end zone, a little corner fade route, corrals it with one hand. He doesn't, you know, just try to do the one hand to be flashy. He kind of tips it down, grabs it with both hands, gets his feet in really, really smooth. It had a lot of velocity on it. It wasn't really like a lobbed ball. He plucked it out of the air in real time. It was like, man, he snatched that. Like, that was a real good play. They're showing the replays. It doesn't even look that great on replay. It's like, oh, yeah, he didn't even one-hand it cleanly. He kind of had to tip it to himself. But, man, like a really, really clean play that he just makes look really smooth and easy. He does a lot of stuff like that. Noticed it with Rashad Bateman a little bit. Uh, Not this week. He didn't do a whole lot this week. But the week before, he had the 100-yard game. He just did a lot of little things that were like, man, he makes these, like, just catching a quick curl and 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 his, his turn up field and finding a seam uh to hit you know for 20 yards or something it's like you know that great yard after catch uh feel and, and some of those things deandre hopkins the guy that the cardinals are missing probably the best guy in the league at this in terms of making hard catches look easy the guy just handles the sidelines so well his body control is incredible he never elevates more than he has to so that he can get his feet back onto the ground right like He's always, when the ball throws out of bounds, always keeping his toes right on the edge of the line so he can extend as far out of bounds as possible. And so it doesn't even look like he's extended as far as he has, whereas other receivers look super extended sometimes because their feet aren't as close to the sideline as they need to be, or else they get their feet out of bounds. And then it's like, oh, well, that was a tough catch because the ball was thrown out of bounds. We saw that with uh, Antoine Wesley, who Murray was throwing to later. The throw kind of looks uh, – there was a, 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 a downfield throw to the front pylon. The throw kind of looks like it's out of bounds because Wesley doesn't really make a very good body control play, and he ends up getting one foot in. He kicks the pylon with the second foot. I don't know. I think there's receivers that make that play, and they make it look – a look. At, it looked impossible to catch when Wesley was trying to make a play on it. I think there's receivers that make that look easier to catch. Darnell Mooney had a play as well. Rich Rebar tweeted that – he thought Mooney needed to do a little bit more on it. And I was feeling the same way. Uh, Fields threw a really good fade on, a, I believe it was a fourth down in the Monday night game. And Mooney got the knee down. It, it looked like the, his shin and knee was down, but the ball came out as he went to the ground. But just sort of like elevated more than he needed to. Again, like, do you have the body control and the understanding of where you're at on the field to make the catch, get your feet down? It was such a well-thrown ball. I mean, that was Fields' best throw of the day probably. Mooney's played really, really good football this year, but one where I think he got up a little bit too high. That's something 
again, I'm just like bouncing on a whole bunch of players, but that's something I used to always see with Devontae Parker. Guy would get up too high on the sideline and then cornerbacks would have no problem just shoving him out of bounds. I mean, that used to be a big Devontae Parker stand. I'd be like, why are you jumping this high? Like, we know you have a great vert, but quit jumping so high. You have to get your feet back down on the ground. Uh, but anyway, that was what I thought I saw from the Cardinals this week. And, you know, I when I was writing signals, I hadn't noticed that, that Ronald Moore actually left the game injured. I, I missed that. I was looking at the snap counts, but a lot of the targets I saw in that game to Green, to Wesley, even to Ertz, who, who's been playing very well, but he's limited. My takeaway was that the Cardinals have a, been a little bit the victims of their own success in the sense that they're throwing to players that are not playmakers. And a lot of them have been performing because they're working off of Hopkins, getting so much attention and Hopkins being a true alpha. And he hasn't even played amazing all year, but Hopkins is a very, very good receiver. And then they get to a game like this. They haven't developed Rondell Moore as a downfield receiver. I mean, even before he left, they were not using him any differently than they have been using him. They needed more down the field. Guys that could actually win. Guys that could make plays look easier down the field, on the sidelines. Um, I think Moore has that type of upside. Obviously, you do. We've talked about this a million times. But they, because A.J. Green has been so good all year, because, you know, uh, Ertz has played so well ever since coming over, even Christian Kirk has had such a great year. I think, I mean, I, I've been a big Kirk fan since he came in. But I do think Kirk has his limitations. He winds up scoring late in this game, getting wide open on a, on a good route, but um, also had a bad drop and missed another very catchable ball on the sideline. Um, strong stat line again, end of the day, but there's just so many passes. I felt like Kyler threw in this game where it's like he, the receivers are not making plays for him when, I mean, he's playing pretty high level football for a, for a quarterback losing to a one win team. You expect Kyler Murray had a horrible game. And I don't, I don't, he didn't play that bad in this game in terms of his passes. And the Cardinals are in a position where they're like, well, these receivers have done it for us all year. We're going to keep putting them out there, but you've almost become a victims of your own success where Kyler was playing so, so good earlier. And those guys were also making plays that now you're convinced you got to keep these guys out there. You got to keep AJ green out there. You got to keep all these dudes running routes and they're not making, they're not making the same types of plays. And if Hopkins is out now, it's a problem. Now you need, you know, Rondell more developed. You need sort of like the Jonathan Taylor point. You need your best players out there running, running these routes. Yeah, this game had a lot of the same feeling of that Panthers loss when they actually were rolling for most of the time under Colt McCoy, and then sort of out of nowhere they get hammered by this Panthers team that we know at this point really is just not a good team. Uh, so the Cardinals have been a little bit of a strange team in that their overall season has been excellent. Their highs are very high. They have a lot of good players. They have a lot of depth across the board. They're very good. But as you mentioned, the offense is much weaker without DeAndre Hopkins. And then uh, partly, again, this comes back to our James Conner bias, perhaps in some small way, but their play calling around the goal line in the first half when they had opportunities to stay in this game was very poor. And they made some of these low percentage throws as opposed to simply hammering with your best players. And so that I feel like is where they lost it. But I definitely agree on more. And I mean, Steve Smith is kind of the guy that we've compared him to from time to time. He's a smaller receiver with absolutely crazy athleticism you know you go google him to try and find out what his health is like or this or that other thing and you run across all of the different people talking about how his speed out there on the field his play speed even at the nfl level where these guys are just freakish athletes he is yet on that extra level he can make moves nobody else can make and you're thinking okay well we want to get the ball in his hands and let him do some of those kinds of things and i think that as you mentioned, not only is this a situation where maybe they were victims of their own success with the other guys playing well because Kyler was playing so well, but it's also something where this idea we got to get the ball in his hands, you know, they're, they're limiting what they can do with him in a way that's unfortunate. The other player that really jumped out to me as I was watching this week and kind of thinking in the context of this whole thing is, I mean, he's a little bit smaller, but this is Tyreek Hill right? And you have to use him in a similar fashion. Now, people think of Hill and all these 60, 70-yard touchdown catches that he's had with the Chiefs, and those are very important in terms of what they do for the defense, but he's also used right around the line of scrimmage a ton, right? And he also makes a lot of short yardage touchdown catches. Well, that's what the Cardinals are trying to do with Rondell Moore, but you have to do it with the vertical element as well. And so, yeah, we've got to see that if they're going to develop the offense and 
you know, now, unfortunately, it looks like he may be a little bit limited. It, it feels more like a 2022 project, which, you know, as an Arizona Cardinals fan living here, you know, in Tucson, it, it's frustrating because it does feel like over the last couple of weeks, the Cardinals have been, have gone from the driver's seat to really having a very slim chance at making the Super Bowl. That's too bad when you've done as many good things that they've done. Now, I know that you're not a particularly big fan of Cliff Kingsbury. There have been some small pieces here that I found pretty encouraging, right? One of the things that drove me crazy last year is how limited they were in terms of what they were asking their receivers to do or letting them do. And so if you go to the NFL player stat explorer, you look up the guy, you can see all these receivers and how they've done by pass location, which can be a fun thing to kind of dive into and get lost in a little bit. If you pull up Christian Kirk, for example, uh, someone you mentioned earlier had a good game this week, has had a good season. If you look at his pass location over the past couple of years, it's all completely on the right side of the field. He was over there, DeAndre Hopkins on the other side, just no creativity and no variety in terms of how he was used. Now, this season, we know that his slot percentage has been very, very high. And so you might be surprised to go in and discover that he has green in terms of yardage in the 15 plus across the board, right? He's got 148 yards on passes, 15 plus yards to the left, 158 yards on passes, 15 yards or more to the middle and 134 in that same category on the right. And so you've got a slot receiver who's being used on routes that take him all across the field there, beat defenses in a variety of different ways. I think that that has to be the future for Rondell Moore, who has a higher ceiling than Kirk. And so I think that we can get there. Sadly, we're not there yet. Yeah, it's not even a criticism of Kirk, at least for, for me at all. What I was saying, I know you're not criticizing him either. It's just the higher ceiling point that you made, exactly the way that I would put it. Um, why? why <laughs> especially when you had uh, Hopkins out for three games earlier this year and you're using Wesley as the other outside receiver, Kirk actually played pretty well in the one game where he played outside when both when Hopkins was hurt earlier and and Green was on the COVID list so both outside receivers were out and they did play more a lot more they kicked Kirk outside they did it for one game um and Kirk had a pretty solid game can't remember which game it was but um it's just it's wild to me that Wesley is still playing this much this guy's not good he's like just a dude that's running routes he's just like an, a, a replacement level receiver if Kyler um, you know, throws on a, on perfect time and in the right spot, then he's going to catch it. If he needs the receiver to, you know, to, needs to throw the receiver open or needs him to be able to make a play on the sideline or something, it's, it's not likely going to work. And I mean, even if it's not Kirk's best position, clearly the best deployment of these receivers overall is to put Kirk outside. You know, to your point, they've been using him all over the place. It's been a big reason why he's been productive this year. But I still think basically pigeonholing him back on the outside and then using more exactly as you just described. I mean, that's the upside in this offense right now. I don't know what they're doing. I mean, Kirk can be a really good, basically, one or two weapon alongside more. And then you also have AJ Green. And then, like, that's not that terrible. And, and Ertz, right? Like, Ertz isn't uh, a go-to. Like, he's been productive, but he's not the guy that defenses are worried about at this point. He's an additional piece. And so is Green. He's been better when he's been an additional piece alongside Hopkins. Um, you know, the last games that Hopkins missed and Green was active, he wasn't very productive. He made a couple plays here with Hopkins out, but, you know, a little more defensive attention on Green is probably not a good thing. You need to have Moore and Kirk be the ones that are threatening the team, uh, the defenses, and have them have some type of configuration where they could be on the field at the same time. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just crazy. Definitely still dreaming of some Tyreek Hill action for Rondell Moore. And just sad that it didn't happen here in the, the fantasy quarterfinals and scared it's not going to happen in the semis or finals either. Then we have to go to a break now, but I did want to throw out that it's never a bad time to subscribe to Ceiling Signals. you got people on your Christmas list that you have a hard time shopping for. Get them some football. Everybody likes football. We're also running a fun Christmas special on Rotoviz. You get $5 off your subscription. We're also increasing the discount if you're a radio listener and you use the coupon code RVRADIO2021, instead of a 10% discount this week, it's going to be a 15% discount. Put those two things together. I mean, it's, it's almost free. I don't know what the exact number is, but it's getting <laughs> close to free. Then. It's, so it, it sounds like it's about $0. About $0. So if you have someone, they've got everything, but 
they can't get their starting lineup in, get them rotoviz, get them stealing signals. They'll not ruin your league by starting inactive players in the fantasy semis, and you've got them covered. Don't have to go out shopping. And right after the break, we'll be back with more from Ceiling Signals and the Zero RB Watch just after this. NFL football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find NFL tickets anymore. Because TechPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. One of my bucket list items is certainly to head on over and see my Green Bay Packers over in Green Bay at Lambeau Field. I'm super excited to see how this season plays out. For the Packers, whether it's the Packers or any other team that you want to head and get in on the action this season and attend a game, whether it's a home game for your favourite team or it's on the road, TickPick has you covered. Visit TickPick.com slash RotoViz to save 10% on your first order. So if you're thinking of going to a game this season, don't wait. Head on over, get those tickets. That is TickPick.com slash RotoViz. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, Ben, at the beginning of the show, I mentioned that despite having no exposure in fantasy, I am 100% on the Cooper Cup bandwagon for NFL MVP. We're talking about one of, if not the greatest, wide receiver season in history. The Rams are a Super Bowl contender. You have Matthew Stafford, who's having a good season, but we saw again tonight a lot of the struggles that he had in Detroit when he was not throwing two cup he didn't look good he took some sacks he wasn't particularly accurate made some bad decisions so if quarterbacks can be the mvp and almost always are and we know that quarterbacks you know are the most important position in football it's one of the most singular positions in all of sport but in a season where even the elite quarterbacks have been shut down to the extent that they have been and no one has really risen to claim the mvp and your other option is, I, mean, I think your other legitimate option, unless you want to really dive into how defensive players are playing, is to look at Jonathan Taylor and his team a little bit more outside looking in in terms of Super Bowl chances right now than the Rams. I mean, you've got to look very closely at Cup. And I would, I would think that the burden now is on someone making an argument for somebody else as opposed to, trying to convince people that a wide receiver deserves to be in this conversation. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a really interesting conversation. Um, I, I've very much been on the on the bandwagon that it it, it is a, a QB award now. It should be a QB award now. But that was sort of in, under the impression that in, in the modern passing league and with so many good QBs that you're you're going to have at least one, but in in all likelihood several that are deserving of this type of honor because they play a really good season over the course of a year. I, I just didn't foresee 2021. I didn't foresee a season where every quarterback, every offense is at times looked really stagnant. Every quarterback has at times struggled. Um, Aaron Rodgers has played really good football lately. He's the betting, uh, the, the betting favorite right now. Tom Brady is right behind him. We'll see how Brady's season closes without all of his top weapons. And, and certainly, didn't look great in getting shut out this week as in the game where they all went out, they're going to, you know, obviously have to game plan differently and potentially bounce back from that. But that's been a big part of his success. I think is the fact that he's had so many players that can win on the field at the same time. And and that's made it very challenging for, for defenses to get away from, you know, at least letting somebody be single covered. And then Brady's going to obviously diagnose that and get the ball where it needs to go. He's the best, you know, he's with all the experience he has, he's going to be fantastic at that. So, anyways, those two guys are are very clearly the favorites right now in the betting market. I don't think either of them is necessarily playing so well that they're shoe ins by any means. And Cup, yeah, I mean, it's what Cup is doing. I, I mean, I, I kind of I get your point. Like what Cup is doing every single week. And in a way that, as you said in the first half of the show, there's no one else in this offense producing. Even when Robert Woods was there, was not doing a lot. And now no one else is really doing a lot. And Cup, every single week, I mean, I'm looking at his game log. Dude has over 90 receiving yards every week except one this year. Every single game, 90-plus receiving yards except week four. Uh, Has obviously scored just an insane amount of touchdowns, 12 touchdowns in, in 13 games. Um, well, no, that's wrong because that's not including this Seahawks game that just happened today. So now he's at what 14 touchdowns in 14 games. He scored two more tonight. And so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, unless we're just saying a wide receiver can't win, like what other argument is there? Yeah. I I don't know what it would be because again, one of the things that Brady made such a big point about when he was moving from New England to Tampa was that the surrounding pieces mattered and he wanted better ones and he got them in Tampa Bay. And you look at what Chris Godwin has done this season. We talk about all the frustrating things from week 15. You have all the people on the COVID list. That's very unfortunate in a variety of different ways. You have all the players who busted them. You think about people who had, Najee Harris, one of our main teams, had him and is a little bit more outside looking in in the race for the big money with the performance he had. Obviously, James Conner has carried people, didn't get his touchdown for just about the first time all year in this uh, upset loss. You have Leonard Fournette going out and maybe being out for the rest of the season. You have Cordell Patterson not scoring the points that people might have hoped for. But for me, the big loss here is, is Chris Godwin having just a monster season and being open on basically every play and driving this entire Bucks offense, perhaps not getting the credit he deserved for that, for him to then suffer this knee injury, it's horrible for him. It's horrible for their team. It's going to be a big problem for Tampa. Now they potentially get Antonio Brown back. We'll see if he can uh, make good decisions for a stretch here long enough to help them make their next Super Bowl push. But you see the players go out for Tampa Bay. And suddenly Tom Brady is not only not the MVP, he's, he's Carson Wentz, right? I mean, you just can't complete any passes. You get shut out. He's over there pouting on the sidelines. You can say, well, the pouting is good. That's competitiveness, but it is sort of a thing again, where you're showing up your teammates and you're not Aaron Rodgers. You're not Patrick Mahomes. I mean, if you're not the best quarterback, how can you be the MVP? It's a, it's a very fair criticism in my mind that any other quarterback does that and they get ripped for it. I mean, people people point out like Lamar Jackson gets negatively ripped all the time. I mean, there there are Tom Brady gets away with it, and it's, it's competitiveness. I mean, I buy this big time. I don't know, maybe maybe uh, some of our listeners won't agree with this at all, but 
that that Brady does it and it, it comes across as competitiveness or something, but a lot of other quarterbacks do the exact same thing and they're going to get ripped negatively as if they're doing something wrong. And I mean, I'm not even necessarily commenting on what's right and wrong. I'm just saying there's a clear double standard there. And and you look at this and it's like, well, if these receivers lifted Brady back into the MVP discussion and they did, and the Buccaneers have been good, although again, they're not kind of at the level where he should be given really any more credit than where Patrick Mahomes is. I mean, Mahomes is actually suffering from the fact that he was so unbelievably good the past couple of years that even in a season that deserves to potentially win the MVP again, it's just that contrast. It's like, well, how can we vote for him when he's like having his worst season? It's like, well, he's that much better than everybody else to where his worst season is still MVP quality. But you have this situation now. It's like, if Brady had all of these pieces elevated him into the MVP conversation, I mean, I strongly believe that all Matthew Stafford has is Cooper Cup, and he's playing at this absurd level. And so if one guy can do it, then that receiver should get credit. And we know that the passing game is more important than the running game. Now, there have been some, some situations this year where it hasn't been completely true, right? And you have Jonathan Taylor. You have that game. You already mentioned, obviously, what the Patriots have done. The Patriots games are going to be kind of crazy because they're obviously trying to protect Mac Jones. Uh, he finally made some big mistakes in this game against the Colts to put the Colts in position to win a game that Carson Wentz only completes five passes in. But we know that the Patriots have the good run game, the great defense. We know the Colts have the great run game. We have some other situations like this. But again, generally speaking, you have the successful Rams team and you have it being driven almost exclusively by Cooper Cup. I I think he deserves some pretty impressive credit in that range in the same way that Derrick Henry would have deserved credit if he had stayed healthy and the Titans were the clear-cut favorites in the AFC. I mean, one of the things that we see this week, and probably another interesting discussion here too, Ben, what are your thoughts on Deontay Foreman? He looked very, very good in this one. He goes over 100 yards. He's big. He's athletic. He's got some speed to create some extra opportunities there. He did get dinged up in this one a little bit, but they made some other choices down inside the five that didn't allow him the goal line touches that would have put his overall game up into where it makes a big fantasy impact. But where are you with the Titans now seeing this loss? They have the big void. Our guy, AJ Brown, might finally come back and help. I mean, do the Titans have a chance to make a second push and can Foreman actually resurrect his career down the stretch here? He looks awfully good to me. Yeah, he's looked great. Um, it is interesting. And in, in two weeks ago, he plays some, uh, somewhere in the 30s in snap share, under 40%. But he got, I think it was 13 of the 17 first half touches, and they, they were just really pulling away from him. I believe it was the Jaguars. And uh, use more Hilliard and then and then Jeremy McNichols for like most of the fourth quarter because the game was over. In this one, he's in that same range, but this time it was because he got dinged up like he's on the very first carry. He was questionable to return. He comes back, he ends up touching the ball 20 plus times, being the main lead back, getting a lot of high leverage carries. There's a big, uh, I believe, fourth down run in the fourth quarter in the, the broadcast booth. I, was it uh, uh, Nance and Romo, I think, on this game, and I think Romo was saying none of their other backs, but but Foreman would have would have converted this. He gets hit in the backfield and makes uh, after the contact makes the first down. Gets you know with the extra effort gets the first down and puts him. You know this was on their last drive. They're down six points. Puts them in position to continue driving. And they get down into the the red zone. Ultimately, we're now able to score and they lose. But um, on those key plays, they're going to Foreman. Both of the last couple of weeks, he winds up with snapshots that aren't that great, but it's really been sort of circumstantial. I think they want him to basically be their their answer to Derrick Henry. I mean, I think they've kind of shown that in their usage and in the key spots. You mentioned the the goal line work not really being there. Some of that was early on in the first quarter. They went, ended up going to a Tannehill sneak, and they didn't have him on the field at all there, but that was, I think, right after he got banged up. Foreman, I don't know how much more goal line work they had throughout the game because I think that was their only touchdown. But there were oh yeah, they, passes late. They had where... yeah later in the second quarter they had another drive and they ended up with a short field goal. I think, I mean, the week before they they went to him primarily as their running back down in close uh, each of the last couple of weeks I think in terms of like the green zone touches that I look at for stealing signals, but. 
Yeah, I mean, I think he he has that potential in terms of what his his fantasy upside is. I think he has the potential to 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 have a strong rest of the way, rest of the season, to see that snap share even rise from here. Potentially even see more touches, even though that seems a little crazy because he is already getting a ton, even in the small snap shares. But also, I think has the potential for some multi touchdown games and some um, some pretty big stat lines if if he can get some of that work, like you were saying. What are your thoughts on? Austin Eckler in terms of like dark horse MVP and what he's meant to the Chargers offense. I, I wonder if folks outside of fantasy who are not looking at high value touches in quite the same way realize what he's done as not Christian McCaffrey and not necessarily even Alvin Kamara, but someone who blends the running ability and the receiving ability in a way that makes the offense work. And one of the reasons why so many other offenses haven't worked is they don't have that, right? Now we look at Justin Herbert, Herbert, obviously one of the rising stars, you know, probably someone who should also be, and again, like if they win this game against the chiefs, if they make the right decision and go for two, when they score to go up seven, instead of kicking the extra point to only go up eight, if they go for two, it was bizarre to me that they went for it on fourth down in so many situations where, yeah, you probably should do it, but it was there are some borderline elements to it and then pass up the opportunity to go for two and go up nine and two scores, right? If they do that and win the game, then Herbert would be in the conversation a little bit more because he's had a fantastic season, carried this team. But part of that is that you have this dual threat running back. And we saw here in this game where Justin Jackson actually played a big role and was important because they're trying to take a little bit of the pressure off Eckler as he recovers from the pretty minor injury. Eckler still with the high value touches there. And that's something that you really focused on. It helps him score a ton of fantasy points. And it's very important from a reality perspective as well. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I don't know if it gets him into the MVP discussion. I mean, that's a that he, I, I'm looking at the odds now. He's uh, 250 to one. So oh, let's put he, some money on that one. If you if you think he has a shot to win it, uh, well, it sounds like he's not gonna. As we're recording this, that's unclear what his status for Week 16 is. Right, he might also uh, miss because of of COVID, and if he does, I think you know the the. the key sort of fantasy thing for me right now is that you know i'm excited about justin jackson who we've talked about a lot um i think we talked about him on the show a couple of weeks ago before eckler's injury is somebody that everyone should stash jackson in this game ran more routes than eckler uh eckler obviously getting more i mean not not necessarily obviously but he ends up with four catches jackson has one i think they're like you know, still going to create opportunities for Eckler when he's on the field. Obviously, they want to get him those touches. He gets the the goal line TD as well. Uh, but Jackson did get a little bit of green zone work and uh, ran a lot of routes. And if Eckler were to miss, I think it's pretty clearly going to be the guy that is going to take the majority of the routes. Joshua Kelly fumbles at the goal line in this game as well. So they do have that big back role, and they did give Kelly a carry at the at the goal line. That was a really costly fumble in this game. Yeah, that was at the beginning of the fourth quarter, one-point game. He fumbles at the one-yard line on third and one. I I think there's some chance that if Eckler misses, that, that Jackson could basically be an Eckler light where he gets the receptions and he gets some of the goal line work just because, you know, Kelly would be out of favor at that point. Maybe Roundtree gets activated if Eckler's out. I mean, actually, I think he probably would be. Maybe Roundtree winds up getting more of the rushing work than Kelly in that scenario if Kelly kind of gets deprioritized and, and, and Roundtree is the one who gets a short rushing touchdown or something. But uh, Jackson, I think it would be a fun spot start for week 16 if Eckler was out. So he could be a poor man's Duke Johnson is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good – I mean, essentially, yeah. I mean, I think uh, Johnson was really an, an interesting one this week because Gaskin and he both ran the same number of routes, but Johnson got way more of the low-value touches. It's kind of like, you know, a lot of the committees we see where there's – sort of like a two to one snap ratio where it wasn't even, I don't think that big of a split. The second back is playing a higher percentage of that back snaps are passing down snaps where they're, they're kind of like splitting passing 50, 50, but the, the early down stuff is, you know, split more heavily one way. The reason that's so interesting is Duke Johnson's entire career has been, uh, you know, he's been on the other side of that. He's either been the, the second back that's getting half the receiving work or even more of the receiving work, like the clear receiving back. Maybe he's running, two thirds of the routes. 
but never getting the opportunity to have like 20 carries like he did in this game. And he looked really good doing it. People have been asking for that his whole career. He looked really good doing it, you know, a little kind of too little too late. He's, he's up there in age at this point. We never really got to see Duke Johnson unleashed anywhere. Uh, and then he has a really good rushing game in this game. And I, yeah, I just thought it was interesting that the, the side of, of the game, uh, you know, for running backs workload that he seeded the most work was in the passing game. He, uh, is now the early to have grinder apparently, which it would be really fun to see Duke Johnson do this for a few weeks and see if he can actually, you know, post some hundred yard games as a 20 carry back. We do mention and promote from time to time that one of the great things about zero RB is that you'll get these opportunities to play guys and they were very clear going in. And so you knew you were going to get the points. This wasn't one of those situations. That's not, you, that's not what happened here. <laughs> no, you, you weren't starting Duke Johnson thinking, ah, oh, 25 plus points or 20 plus points and a clear RB1 finish. This was just one where it was a great story. It was great to see him have this kind of game. And if it is kind of the bookend to his career, then that'll be fantastic. And maybe it's not. Maybe it resurrects it for a little bit here and he goes on a little bit of a run. Obviously, the Dolphins don't have a lot of talent on offense. They are in the midst of this stretch, which, you know, to an extent, may be fueled by playing some of the, the weaker teams in the NFL, but that doesn't matter. You got to win the games that you have out in front of you and make sure you do that. And Dolphins, like a lot of teams, are, are back in the playoff hunt. So I'm rooting for them to keep that string going. So, Ben, you say no MVP for Eckler. What about Herbert? Is he is he in it at all? I mean, I think so. I, I think he's an interesting one. If if they beat the Chiefs, like you said, definitely would be a lot easier to see. It, it the tough thing for Cup as well right now is the MVP has so traditionally gone to team has gone to a team that has gotten a buy, and now that we only have the one buy, that was true last year. Rogers won it as as the NFC's top seed. Maybe that won't be the case as much anymore, but I think you at least got to win your division probably. I mean, I, I just it's just one of those things that's always been true, the way that voters look at it. Maybe this season's different, but it, yeah, the Chargers after losing the Chiefs are now two games back with three to play of the Chiefs, who had they beaten, would have would have beaten them both times this year and had the tiebreaker and been tied with them. And so the, they would have been in the division lead and 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 would have held that tiebreaker with the head-to-head if they could just match the record the rest of the way, that's, that would have been the scenario for Herbert. I think uh, the way it stands, it's going to be tough because he's probably not going to win his division. And I think, you know, cup now has pulled the Rams have pulled into a tie with the Cardinals, but um, same thing could, could sort of prove true for them as well, where they need to win the division. They might need to catch the Packers and get the one seed. And then, then maybe it's a possibility. I, I don't think that's out of the question for them to do that, to be clear. They look great, and and even as a huge Chiefs fan, it, it it felt like they, I don't know, say deserve because Hill and Kelsey carried the Chiefs to victory. But this was a great game. This is what the NFL game should look like, not not the rest of what we were treated to this weekend. Then to close out today, it just occurred to me something that's along a similar track to the MVP race, but definitely more fantasy related or purely fantasy related. I haven't, I haven't discussed this with you. I'm going to spring this on you quickly. We'll kind of go rapid fire as we close it out here. For the Monday article, I did do a quick first round of 2022. We do this from time to time. We like to kind of get a sense of, of how values are moving. I'm going to give you my projection of the first round, and you can tell me how far off that I am. You can just give me yay or nay or obviously whatever you want to say on these guys, see if I'm crazy or if I've adequately adjusted to some of the developments as a quick spoiler, our rookies that we were projecting in there, Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts, they're they're no longer looking to be in that first round category. But start off, Jonathan Taylor 101, controversial. I don't think it is for most people. I'm still not convinced that it shouldn't be Christian McCaffrey again. Okay, so I have 102, Christian McCaffrey. You're you're okay with that? I one. think it's a clear top two. Yeah, I'll be there with you. This, by the way, I wanted to say before you really got going, this is gonna be really fun because I've I've thought through this a little bit and it's hard. I mean, it is hard to figure out how people are gonna react next year for a lot of reasons. But yeah, anyway, continue. Yeah, well, we 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 talked last week a little bit about it being wall-to-wall running backs. And so I wanted to kind of go through myself and say, like, is that true? Or did is it just something where I'm like, I know people are going to pick running backs. So it's easy to, to think that they're going to be very on that. 
103. This kind of goes back to our conversation from just a second ago. And uh, to the element, I've been very impressed by what Eckler has done, the high value touches that he's managed so successfully, the quality of this offense. I think that one of the things that the closing stretch of 2021 is going to do and what we've seen with Cup and his elevation with Stafford, people are going to be very skeptical of offenses that are terrible and are going to very much want the safety of offenses that have elite quarterback play as they go through. I have the 103 as Austin Eckler. I like it. I think that's right. Uh, in terms of the way the market will react, I think he's going to be a top five pick. Um, sort of viewed as like the way that Alvin Kamara has been viewed off his big seasons. At the same time, I think I'm probably fading that pick. I mean, he's going to be 27 next year and has had some hamstring issues, has had some small things. He's fantastic, but it's t- I mean, I love Austin Eckler. I'm bummed that I wasn't on him more this year, but the top three? I think, I think that's the right call, though. That's going to make the 104 even more challenging because Derrick Henry, he managed to not just maintain but to elevate, but then he did finally get hurt. If he shows up healthy at the very end of the season or convincingly next summer, are people going to feel comfortable going away from him with the lack of receiving touches, or is he in the 104? I, I think that's a good call, too. I think... Yeah, I think he makes a lot of sense in terms of the way the market will react. I won't draft him for the 15th year in a row. (laughs) Okay, how about the 105? We had said no tight ends, and then Travis Kelsey goes for about a billion points. I mean, 45 or so. I was mentioning that he had the double, triple, triple digits, air yards, triple digits, yards after the catch. I think that unless he busts out, which... You know, if he's now on the COVID list this week, I mean, hopefully that's not true or that he clears, you know, that could derail a little bit. But if he has a legendary playoff finish, which he's now set up to do, we know that that is going to influence how people think. And then also the positional advantage is just so dramatic. And you mentioned to me that some of the current leaders of these big contests were teams, and, and this is not a surprise with how many points they scored, but Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, one of the things that people will tell you is that if you do take the tight ends and the rest of the team isn't good enough, but you know, if we get any more points from these guys, as we go, they're going to be very heavily represented at the top. Do you think that Kelsey another year older? I mean, it's just, he's not going to, he's not going to get back into his twenties ever. I mean, is he a option in the top half of the first round? I mean, I, I think you're naming smart, players to go in these spots i mean they're guys that have had big years and make sense but another one that i mean it's going to be tricky in these spots in in next year's drafts because i don't think i'm going to want to take kelsey fifth overall okay how about 106 then we had maybe the most impressive not quite a safety slash nine yard run in the history of the nfl currently playing in maybe well, I mean, you've got the Jaguars out there too, but I was going to say maybe the most broken offense that we have, but I like Javante Williams at 106, and I think that I'm not going to be alone. Yeah, people were talking a couple of weeks ago after he got his lone start that about him at 102. I think you mentioned it on our show as well. That was a popular one on Twitter that you wouldn't have seen because you don't know what Twitter is, but he's looked fantastic. And if, if Melvin Gordon's not there and if they do have a quarterback upgrade next year, I think he's definitely going to be going this high. This is one I can get behind a little bit more than the other. I mean, the last three guys I said I didn't like at their prices. At a certain point, there's got to be somebody that I'd be willing to take in these picks. Javante Williams, going into year two, is going to be a fun guy to consider in the first round. Okay, how about 107 Dalvin Cook? Yeah, I mean, boring, but probably fine. Probably right. He was the 102 this year, has, again, really until this week, been fantastic anytime he was healthy. I bet I bet he goes there, but another guy I won't touch. But you you're not going to be okay. okay. How about the 108 Alvin Kamara? Kamara will be really interesting because it'll be interesting to see who's at quarterback, where his health is. He certainly hasn't been there from an efficiency standpoint this year, but he also had a little bit of a down efficiency year, particularly with the touchdowns in 2019. That made him a little bit more affordable in 2020 drafts. I really liked him last year. It was a big part of some of my teams doing very well last year. He scored 21 touchdowns last year. 
this year, it's not just that the touchdowns are down. It's also that the, you know, the, the rushing efficiency has been way down. The playmaking hasn't been as great, but this offense has been terrible. I do think, I mean, I still think very highly of him. I think if they get a, a different quarterback in there, that makes a little more sense for Kamara's skill set. That he'll be a really interesting guy. I mean, he part of the reason his rushing efficiency is down. He's going to set a career high in rushes by a lot, even though he's missed some games. Um, he's almost there already. He's 10, 10 carries away in five fewer games than the the year that he hit his previous career high. And a lot of a lot of those situations where he's running a lot are, are games where you know teams are stacking the box and they're just giving it to Kamara like he's Jonathan Taylor. And Kamara's probably not Jonathan Taylor, but the Saints don't have a lot else. If they do, you know, let's say they have Michael Thomas back. I don't know what's going to happen with Michael Thomas. Let's say they figure out all their differences. They have Michael Thomas back. Let's say they get things squared away a little bit. Uh, and this offense looking like it can be functional again with actual other playmakers to, to take some heat off. I think Camara will make sense as a bounce back candidate next year. 109 Tyreek Hill. Yeah, that's one that I probably would would take even higher. Because you said, I mean, even this year without the deep stuff, he's still been productive. They find ways to use him underneath and around the goal line. I mean, I, I'd take him over some of these running backs for sure. But he's a first-round pick. I finally am on board, not just with it, as a good pick, which I think is clear cut, but something I do think is going to happen. And that's Cooper cup with the one ten. And I bet he goes even higher, honestly. I mean, I think if there's one thing so far that I've thought, yeah, he's probably, you probably got him ranked too low. I think people are going to take cup 105, 106 at the latest. He's going to be the first receiver off the board. He's been too good this year. He's been so, so good. I don't even know what to say about it either. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, he's our MVP, but you don't think that the stigma of kind of a late breakout possession receiver only guy in the offense in the second half, maybe more target volume? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's some parallels to Diggs, and Diggs was a, a warning sign for this sort of late breakout and not being able to sustain it as good the next year, even though Diggs has been very good. But the, the heights that Diggs reached in 2020, he wasn't able to really back up in 2021. I think that'll be that'll be a comparison that's popular next offseason for Cup. Um, but again, I mean, Cup's potentially going to break the NFL records for receptions and receiving yards in the season. I mean, even what Diggs did is not going to – it's going to pale in comparison to what Cup's going to finish with this year. 111, Justin Jefferson. I definitely want to make that pick. I mean, I think that's a great price if we get that. <laughs> That's all I'll say about that. I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think I, I think Cup will go first. I think I would rather have Jefferson to to our earlier conversation. And then one twelve had DeAndre Swift, and then I did cross it out and move Najee Harris back in because the workload is so significant, both in terms of it being high level, but also the way people look at fantasy football and look at these early picks. So those guys competing for the 112, and then Ben, the two people that I kind of left out who could easily move in, I would think, would be, well, we have Harris there, then the other one is D- Devontae Adams, which I think is very much dependent on what the quarterback situation is there yeah. next year. Yeah, Adams is going to be tied to what happens with Rogers? What happens with Adams? Whether he's back? Yeah, he's a tough one to place. It's funny. I mean, it's a little bit like what happened this offseason when Rogers was was away from the team, and Adams' ADP was in limbo, and you could get him pretty late, you know, in, in drafts, mid second, and he'll be right you know, another year older, and probably not as coming off of a season that was as explosive as the one that he came off the previous year. The other name that I did want to mention there as someone I left out that I think is perhaps a little bit controversial, but perhaps not at all based on what we're seeing right now. The other kind of first round pick feeling player who doesn't make it in this is Saquon Barkley. Is he going to be a first round option unless we see a a huge game here down the stretch? I don't think he'll be a first round option even, even probably if we see, I mean, I think that would, that would jumpstart his, his ADP a little bit going to the offseason, but I think there's going to be a lot of concern about whether he, 
you know, will ever basically get that explosiveness back, whether the offense can um, basically support him uh, and, and allow him to put up big numbers. I mean, this is kind of the worst case scenario season for him. He got banged up again. The, when he was healthy, the offense was really, really bad. And then also he didn't have the explosive plays. He didn't look as explosive. Not a, not a good season for him. I do think he's probably a second round pick next year. Okay. So we do need to wrap it up, but I'm going to put you on the spot. I think that you'll love this, have a strong feeling real quick. If you're on the clock at the 112 and Swift and Harris are there, who do you pick and who do you think will have the higher ADP? I think Harris is definitely going to be higher than I'm going to want to take him. I don't know if he'll go ahead of Swift. I think that's a good question. But I'll, I'll say Harris goes higher, but I would take Swift just so I can sound super contrarian and smart. <laughs> and so you can win all of your leagues because DeAndre Swift is going to be an absolute monster next season. It's going to be Swift and Javante Williams that everybody are talking about heading into 2023. That'll do it for today's episode of Stealing Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch, whom you can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. Subscribe to Stealing Signals. It makes a fantastic Christmas gift if you want to get that 15% discount for this week from Rotoviz Radio. Use the code RBRadio2021 at checkout. If you have any questions on your subscription, buying one for a friend or extending that kind of thing, you want to make sure you do it right. You can email us at rotovizmain at gmail.com. Dave Cabin, who is the host of the flagship show here at Rotoviz Radio, also the one who will uh, see that email first. He's the person who handles subscriptions, so that's very nice. You won't have to interact with extra people. Dave is awesome. You will love him. If you can't leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to the feed. We're obviously on a slightly different tempo now, and we'll have uh, some more exciting creative things, hopefully, that we do January, February. You don't want to miss those. If you subscribe, you'll get them as soon as they do release. Uh, we come to the end of a crazy week 15. Hopefully, week 16 is even crazier, but also better. Crazy, high scoring, a lot of fun. It's Christmas week. It's holiday week. However you're celebrating, we're celebrating with you. We're rooting for you. Good luck in your fantasy games, and we'll talk to you soon.